Welcome to a continued special series of Wolf Whistle Podcasts, The Journo's Journal, where we speak to journalists who report on the club about their time supporting and reporting on the club, telling us their pre-Fosun best 11. We're delighted to be joined this evening by Tim Spears, lifelong Wolves fan, followed the club home and away and a season ticket holder for 23 years, joined the Express and Star in 2010 and in 2015 became Wolves correspondent. Tim has published two books, charting the team's rise from the Championship to Europe and also sold out two live shows of the Express and Star podcast with Nathan Judah. In 2019, he moved from the Express and Star to The Athletic as their Wolves writer. Uh, The Athletic has more than 1 million subscribers and have recently been purchased by the New York Times. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Tim Spears. Tim, how are you, mate? What an intro! What an intro from the Lord. Uh, well, from, from, me on, mate. from the Lord. I mean, let me very explain quickly about that because uh, I get pelters on on Twitter about that. <laughs> Here we go. Um, I uh, my mate purchased it for thirty five quid, right? Uh, so I've got a square foot of land in Scotland somewhere. Um, well, I could probably put a rabbit touch on. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I do get pelters on Twitter for it, and I did consider taking it down for a while, but I think it pisses that many people off. I'm leaving it up. Um, You've got to own it, mate. You've got to own it. And, and talking about Twitter, um, I mean, listen, you've been Wolves correspondent for, for a long time, for, for initially the Express and Star, now uh, the Athletic. Do you need it? Well, I know the answer, Tim, but do you need a thick skin? Uh, I need a secretary to run my Twitter feed for me. That'd be nice. Um, <laughs> do I have, yeah, no, no you, yeah, you do, mate. Of course, of course you do. Although it's sort of easier said than done, really. It's sort of easy to say, oh, you know, just ignore it. And get on with it, but um, yeah, it's, it is what it is, mate. It's the worst part of the job for me, to be honest. I do, I do enjoy social media, and I love covering yeah. the games and having a bit of fun. But then, yeah, you get your absolute idiots who <laughs> criticism's fine as part as part of the job. Except that, but it's it's the sort of personal abuse, really. Of course, and, you know, I don't, I don't don't want to bring us on a down, mate. Oh no, no, no. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's not it's not great. But you know what, mate? At the end of the day, it says it says everything about the people that are, that are doing it, and says nothing about me. So um, so yeah, I, I, I just yeah, let them get on with it. Exactly that. And, and to be honest, Tim, obviously big Wolves fan, um, and I suppose that's why these comments cut a bit deep because you you genuinely do care for the club. I mean, we've just read out the stats there. Home and away, season ticket holder for twenty three years. Um, and so, so when was your first game, Tim? And how did you get hooked? It was, it's either October or November 91, I was six years old, uh, it was against Derby, we lost 3-2, I don't remember anything about it, <laughs> other than sort of, other than sort of I, was, I think we were in the John Island lower with, with the red seats, yeah. and just sort of staring across at, at this shack that, that was, you know, the Waterloo Road stand, soon to become the Billy Wright stand, and thinking, what, what on earth is this? Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember much about it. I mean, um, I mean, yeah, I grew up. I grew up in Wamburn, and, and my dad was a my dad was a Stoke fan actually. Okay. But, um, the family sort of moved to Wolverhampton in the late eighties. Um, he was a GP. He's, he's retired now. Right. And he had he had the choice of a job in either Dudley 
Blackburn or Grimsby. So I could have supported a team which won the Premier League a few years later, or it could have been a Grimsby fan. So to be fair, Wolves Wolves was all right. Um, And yeah, he started taking me, yeah, 91, lost 3-2 to Derby. Next game we lost to Ipswich. And then I think we won the third game. We beat Watford in January. Um, so yeah, it was it, like, like with all of us, mate. It was just the noise, the floodlights, the songs, yeah. the swearing, the, the match day programs, you know. And um, and then when sort of Molyneux was rebuilt, and they started splashing loads of cash on like Frogger and Thomas and Daly around that time, I was just absolutely obsessed. To yeah. be honest, by that point, I remember the the Hundred game in '93 really sticks out for me. Yeah, and that was probably the first time I'd seen a full, full house and a full, obviously a full Molyneux. And uh, I loved it, mate. Those days, you know, the, the Sir Jack spending days in the early 90s, like, you know, great time to grow up watching it. I absolutely loved it. Oh, listen, fond, fond memories for me too. So it must have been really obviously starting at the Express and Star I believe it was 2010 and it was 2015 you became the Wolves correspondent for you that must have been as a young man Wolves fan your dream job Tim yeah uh, 100% mate like and, and never just something you never really think could ever be uh, achieved or obtained really because you know when I was growing up and, and and even fairly recently there was only one man who covered Wolves sort of full time yeah and that was the Express the Express and Star Wolves correspondent you know Wolves aren't haven't been haven't been a big enough club to have many people sort of working on them from a media point of view and, until very recently, you know. So it's just it's just something you never think you can ever ever sort of um, go on to achieve. So it, I just sort of stumbled into it really, having having been at the Express and Star. But no, it's a dream job, mate. I used to, I used to run I used to run to the front door at five o'clock every night when the Express and Star was delivered. Yeah, you know, see what see what David Instone had written. Um, and then writing was sort of the only thing I was ever good at. So to sort of combine uh, wolves and writing, uh, yeah, it's been a dream, mate. And for it all to sort of coincide with, you know, finally, finally breaking out from the, the purgatory of the championship and, and becoming a top level club in Europe and going to China and everything that's come with it, mate. It's, it's been um, it's been an absolute dream. As I, I, I do appreciate how lucky I am. Oh, listen, and, and I'm glad you see it that way because we spoke about the negatives, but there's so many positives to obviously your job and the work you do. Um, one of those positives was the signing on fee you got for the £40 million transfer from the Express and Star to the Athletic. Now, <laughs> now Tim, I mean, once again, um, it must have been really tough for you to leave the Express and Star, but the Athletic is a huge, huge progressive organisation, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's massively came out of the blue, really. I'd, I'd, I'd not really, I'd not even heard of the Athletic, to be honest. But when I started sort of looking into it and what they'd done in the space of three years to that point in America, because, yeah. you know, they launched in 2016, I was sort of blown away by what they'd done with their sort of American football coverage and uh, found out people I knew were subscribers already, like my colleague Nathan Judah and a couple of mates of mine followed it for the American sports and they were like, you know, you. you, you it's too good an opportunity to sort of turn down, really. It's just like for people who don't know or subscribe, it's just sort of got a real emphasis on like quality, in-depth journalism, which was sort of really attractive. Yeah. Sort of the opposite of clickbait, which is where a sort of a sizable proportion of the newspaper industry has, has gone, really. You know, as, as papers move online and sort of chase clicks and advertising revenues, you know, sort of misleading headlines and upstantiated rumours and gossip. You know, I can't, I can't really stand all that. And yeah. The ENS, the ENS weren't doing that, but it's a, it's a part of the industry I really don't like. 
albeit I do I do understand it and the need for it, I guess. Um, so yeah, it just felt like a sort of a good fit. I so you know, I consider myself a writer by trade, really. You know, you you've got your transfer experts like David Ornstein or John Percy. You know, that's their bread and butter, and they're so good at it. Or yes. You've got your guys who are good on camera, like Mr. Judah. I guess I'm, I'm more of a, a writer, really. I, I, I like getting deep into a subject or interviewing people or explaining big issues and big features, you know, and that's sort of at the heart of what The Athletic does. So, um, no, it's great to be part of it, mate. The, the, the content is, is unbelievable. Yeah. Some of the writers that got there, Danny Taylor, Ollie Kay, you know, sort of journalistic idols of mine, really. People like Stu James, Phil Hay. Amy Lawrence, it's um, it's ridiculous, and yeah, like, like you mentioned, um, recently been purchased by the New York Times, and I know there's sort of lots of exciting plans for the future, really, which I'm I'm looking forward to being part of. I mean, talking about these journalistic heroes of yours, um, I've read a lot of your articles on the Athletic, and I'm very impressed, Tim, and I do enjoy them. So the question uh, is, is going to be thrown back at you, really. Um, have you read my book, Tim? <laughs> Actually, before you answer, I'm going to ask you a question on one of the chapters. If you say yes, I think long and hard about this. <laughs> I've been quizzed on your book before. I remember Jackie Oakley quizzing me on, on excerpts from your book before. Oh, really? So, have you read it, yes or no? I have. Yeah, I, I don't know if I read it cover to cover, but I, but I, picked, out, I picked out the ones I wanted to read. That'll do. Colin Lee, I think that was the best one for me. Uh, Tim, you know what? That's good enough for me. And I, I remember doing John Richards on the podcast. It was really weird, actually. And he, he, during the podcast, he said, yeah, I've got your book. And at night, he said, I'll read a chapter each night. And I'm thinking, John Richards is King John, 194 goals for Wolves, goes to bed at night. And before he kisses his wife, Pam, he reads my book. I mean, you know what? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Tim, I'll tell you what, there's no greater testament than that coming from you. And you did mention, <laughs> no, that it, honestly, it means a lot, Tim. And, um, <laughs> Molyneux View, now I was a regular listener to this, I really enjoyed it with the Queen of Codsall, as you mentioned, Jackie Oatley, is there any chance that that's going to come back to him, because that was so insightful, and you know, that's one, to be fair, you get a bit, a few pelters on Twitter, but people were so positive about that, and I think people are quite disappointed that it's gone. I know, uh, yeah, we, we loved doing it, and Jackie's become a really good friend of mine, you know, and we and we share a huge passion for Wolves, and yeah, it's out of my hands, really. Um, but it's nice that people miss it, and I'm still asked about it most days, to be honest. You know, we, we did the last episode a year ago. Um, so yeah, like I said, it's, it's, out, it's out of my hands, but me, yeah, me and Jackie are still in, in almost daily contact uh, with, our, with our musings about Wolves, so I'm sure we'll end up doing something again at some point in the future. Oh, well, I look forward to that. And very quickly, before we go through your pre and best 11, um, recently on social media, I've seen that you was uh, privy to the, the Wagatha trial. I mean, that must have been so interesting. <laughs> it was bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. I've, I don't know how I got roped into it, really. I think, well, I used, to cover, I used to cover court cases at the Express and Star when I was on the news team. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think was why they asked me to go. But that was like, that was stuff like murder trials and terrorism cases, you know, proper yeah. proper stuff. And then here you've got Colleen Rooney on the stand being asked to explain how to use Instagram. <laughs> 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 it's just insane. 
I tell you what, it's an absolute circus. I've never really seen the sort of paparazzi um, uh, gaggle of piranhas sort of chasing after celebrities as, as they get into a taxi outside. But um, it was quite something to witness. I mean, there were, there were dozens of photographers outside and about 40 journalists covering the case, wow. um, which I've never, I've never seen before. So many that they had to put half of them in, in like an overspill room where they, where they had to watch it on TV. Um so yeah, it's just bizarre. You're in this huge historic court with with far more important things going on in in the other rooms. Um, I think the the judge she'd previously worked on stuff related to Guantanamo Bay, um, and here she is doing Rooney Rooney B. Vardy. Um, so it's, it was really good fun to be fair, like a, a sort of a, a, a proper clash of like a vacuous celebrity culture and yeah. these extremely well educated lawyers and judges and and whatever. Um, it was amazing to be there, you know, as trivial as it as it as it is, and I'm fully well aware of that, because it was sort of front page news, and and you're in a tiny courtroom, really small, with a couple of dozen people, and it's unusual in 2022 because there's no pictures allowed, there's no audio, there's no video. It was just a very private thing that only sort of, like I said, a couple of dozen people are, are, are privy to to witnessing. So it was a privilege to be there, really, but it was utterly. Insane. <laughs> <laughs> My word. I mean, that must have cost him as well millions of pounds. Oh mate, well you know they've got they've got real hotshot lawyers and and um, and and lots of investigative people on the case looking at phone records and Instagram stories and and all this kind of nonsense. And it just yeah, I mean the Rooney's made the point again and again. You know we don't want to be here. Why are we here? Um, and I felt exactly the same. <laughs> so oh, wow. uh, um, yeah. No, you're right. It's, it's absolute shambles, but it was yeah, it was good fun. Anyway, talking about shambles. Now you text me early and you put your team is red hot. So I'll, I think oh, I'll be uh, I think I'll be the judge of this. Now it's a pre frozen best eleven, and the reason I say pre frozen yeah. to the journalists, listen, it'd be so easy to say um, Jose Sar or Patricio in goal, Ruben Neves, Joe Martino, etc., etc. So um, pre frozen best eleven. What formation are you going for, team? Okay. So I've gone for a three-three-two-two. Jesus, basically. it's very flexible. It's, it's very, very fluid, and it's, and it's very attacking. But it'll all make sense, mate. When I go through it, it's all going to make sense. So a three-three-two-two. Flipping it, I tell you what, you would be getting pelters for not playing wing backs um, on Twitter. So, so, people are going to give you shit about this team, team. Anyway, who are you going to start with in goal? So the, I, I, obviously, every to- every choice is tough. So I'm just not going to say that anymore. Yeah, but um, yeah, it is difficult. Um, Mickey Styles, like the keeper I grew up with, and sort of ten, what was he, ten, eleven years, and, and yeah, so reliable and so dependable, such a big character. But when I was sort of thinking about this, I thought I can't really remember any of his saves. You know, I don't know if it's because of the age I was. So I was just a kid, but I can't really remember it any of his sort of outstanding man of the match performances or, or saves that might be that's probably more my memory but Matt Murray's exploits and man of the match performances really stick out for me it, obviously the playoff final when he saved the Peno yeah. and he saved that own goal from Paul Lynch do you remember in the first yes, half as well yes 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 and then the West Brom game in 2007 when he when he was when he basically stopped them single handed and then Bothroyd pops up with the winner yeah um 
I just thought, yeah, probably the probably the best goalkeeping performances I've, I've seen really were, were, were from Matty. I mean, do you remember that that sort of 2007 season? He looked huge. I think when he first came in the team, he, you know, he, he hadn't really bulked up, but he looked bigger than the goal in sort of to that, in that 2017. Um, and obviously, obviously, he would have played for England without without, without the injuries, and and would have played for a big Premier League club as well. You know. Oh. No doubt about it, because he had the temperament, didn't he? A hundred percent. I mean, what's interesting, uh, you, you make a point about him being huge. I listened to um, a recording the other day that I believe he did with Steve Herman, and he said, for the penalty for the player final, if you look at it, he's quite one-sided towards the one side of the goal. And before the penalty yeah. got took, he said, I stood on the six-yard box because I was showing to Michael Brown that, you know, it, it makes you look bigger, it makes the goal look smaller. And it, and it clearly worked, and he showed Michael Brown where he wanted to take it. But you're quite right. As cliches go, that really is... Matt Murray would have played for England, and you can debate it all you like, but he was a real class act, and if it wasn't for injuries, he would have gone to the very, very top. I think he would have done, mate, especially that era as well. I mean, sort of late 2000s, you had, I remember Scott Carson being in goal for a little while. Do you remember the Croatia game for England? Yes, yes, so yes. So, I think sort of post Seaman and others, and pre Joe Hart, there was, there was um, uh, Paul Robinson for a bit, didn't they? But I think with his agility and his ability, he would definitely have played for England. And, and if he'd been at a big, a big club, yeah. he would have had a chance of being England's number one. That's how, that's how good he was. You know, we know. We know how good he was. I, what, you know what I love about the Matt Murray story is how he's made a career for himself after football because you know he wasn't a big name no. nationally at all, and it could have been a real sort of tale of woe. Really, you know, this kid who could have been a superstar, but injuries ended his career. You know, he could have felt sorry for himself and never been heard of again. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But, but 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 he has. He's made a fantastic career for himself. He's got fingers in so many pies, and obviously people will know him as being a pundit. And and you know, Jace, you met him. He's, so, he's such a guy and I'm just so pleased for him that, that he's had a sort of second career oh 100% and what's interesting about Matt Murray he only played just over 100 professional games so to play that many games and then to get the career yeah. in the media um, he's got he's, he's obviously full credit to, to Matt um, anyway that's a great choice for goalkeeper Mickey Stoll obviously be really upset you can put him on the bench um, this formation I'm, I'm worried already so who <laughs> I mean, it's three, three, two, two, which I've never heard of. So, who was going to be your 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 three at the back? So we start we start at right centre back. So um, so it's got to be Dean Richards, I think. Yeah. Um, sort of the first great defender that I that I saw at Molyneux, and just different different to all the others. I mean, who else did we have? Uh, Pete Shirtless and Derek Mountfields, Paul Blades, um, Brian Law, Rob March. Take your pick. Yeah, that kind of area, but but Richards was ahead of his time, really, in the way that he brought the ball out from the from the back. I mean, yeah. Shane Shane Wesley, I guess, mate, as well, a couple of years earlier, and you've got Dino coming in, just just the exact opposite. Yeah, and I, he wasn't, but he wasn't the first to do it to be able to bring the ball out like that. But he was definitely ahead of his time. I think he, I think he fit in even better in this era than 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 that one, to be honest. But he was just there was just always a level of excitement when he when he sort of glided out like a swan you know from central defence through the midfields and um, yeah he was record signing wasn't he I think 95 almost a couple of million quid which yeah. is a huge fee for a second tier club um, oh. lots of good memories Albion the goal against the Albion yeah um, the winner at Barnsley when I think he scored an own goal and Wolves were 2-0 down and then he pops up Pops up with a winner in the last minute in front of the away ends. One of my favourite away days. Your memory's impeccable. 
I mean, what what I remember about him, you know, he was quite majestic. He, you're quite right. He'd, he'd bring the ball out, and he that was quite unusual at the time for, for having such a, a skillful centre half in the in the then well, effectively the championship. But it just shows the Wolf scouting record um, at the time to pick that player up from Bradford, and then he had such a great career going on to Spurs and Southampton. Yeah, it was, it was um, Graham Taylor who signed him, wasn't it? I think it was initially um, initially yes. on loan. And um, yeah, another one. You know, we talked about Matt Murray, and, and obviously, you know, should have played for England. And yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, su- such a tragic, tragic story. You know, leaving us so young. Um, I remember speaking to sort of a teammate from each of his clubs for yeah. a piece for the Athletic a couple of years ago, and um, spoke to James BT and Don Goodman and Tim Sherwood, who played with him at Spurs, and they were just all just universally. Um, what a player, you know, he, he sort of had it all and were it not for injuries and a bit of bad luck, you know, he would have, he would have gone even more to the top, but still to get to Spurs was a massive achievement from, from where he started. So, um, oh, so yeah, loved, loved watching him play, mate. I really did. Completely. And, and obviously a very nice guy off the pitch too. So you've got Dean Richards, um, right-sided centre-back. Who's going to be your left-sided centre-back? Left side is obviously going to be Jolian. Ah, Jolian. Um, yeah, good call, good call. Has to be. Um, pro- pro- probably pretty. I mean, pretty similar to Dino in terms of his ability on the ball. Really, I mean, yeah. you could see it from day one. Even at, it was such a young age. I think he was only nineteen when he first came in the team. But he just oozed, oozed class from day one, and was sort of blessed with composure. I think, and always far too good for Championship level. You know, were it not for that horrific injury, I'm, I'm sure he would have left Wolf sooner. But I think he ended up sort of six years in the first team. Um, would have won more England caps as well without that injury but he still won 26 you know made a fantastic career for himself I was looking at his stats earlier today he played 44 times in that first season Okay. and then the next few few seasons he played 46 games 52 43 and 50 so he's so he's so he's he's a regular he's playing every single week he's not getting any injuries but of course in in the middle of that run of five full seasons, he's played none in the Premier League. Yeah, and it's it's such a shame. You know, we were lucky to have Jolian for for six seasons, like I said. But it was such a shame for him that him and Matt Murray that Premier League season. You know, they were that good. I'm sure if, if they were playing every week in the Premier League, we could have stayed up that year. Oh, do you know what? Hundred percent, and two huge losses, especially when that was a season when you know. <sighs> I'm not going to criticise the signings and the money we spent. I mean, we'll save that for this season. But it, 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 it was just a bit of a travesty, really, that two players who'd worked so hard um, and were so pivotal in getting us promoted had to miss the entire season. Matt Murray won't uh, like me for remembering the fact that he only played one game in the Premier League and let five goals in. But I think with those two in the team that season, I think we'd have had, I'm not saying we'd have stopped up, but I think we'd have had a lot more of a chance yeah and of course an issue was that they had a limited budget anyway but they couldn't really spend a huge amount of that money on replacing them because you know they, they were always going to come back yes you know yeah. Um, and yeah it, it was such a shame you know two academy lads they were both so happy at Cardiff that day to think that neither of them would play a part really as you say Matt just played the one game um, was, a, was such a shame but you know 
I'm sure as you did, Jace, really followed his career yes. closely, thoroughly. And after that, I'm so proud when he played for England and obviously won the, won the Premier League with Man City. It's just a shame he played for the Albion, isn't it, really? Well, I know. He, he spoiled all the hard work and it's a shame, obviously, that he sent that car picture out as well when he was at Villa. Um, I mean, what was interesting about Jolien, I can't remember which player said it, but... So when he first joined in with the first team training, normally you've got a young lad and he's come up from the youth team and he's still a bit prickly around the edges and, you know, six stone ringing wet. And I can't remember who it was, but they said Jolien Lescott was like a man. He said he was just this big guy and he just fit in straight away. So... Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, he was just he had that natural composure on the pitch. Although, do, do you remember once when he waved to the South Bank when, during a game? It, that was, it was during the Devon Lock... Um, uh, fall for the the failed promotion season 2002 I think it was All right, now we're down we're in a game and I was like oh Jolien come on mate Um, so yeah but he he he, he matured at a very young age yeah and um, and yeah he he sort of he sort of had it all really Um, but again like Dino just so graceful on the ball Um, uh, what you know one of the greatest players to come out of, of Wolves Academy you know ever obviously Oh, 100%, 100%, and went on to have a great career. So, in between Jolie and Lescott and Dean Richards, I mean, there's going to be some big boots to fill here. Who is your centre-half? <laughs> I don't know how big his feet are, but John John DeWolf, I, I, I reckon they're pretty sizeable, mate. Um, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't the best wasn't the best centre-half. Yeah. He sort of had a, he had a QE2 turning circle, didn't he, by the time he joined us? Yes. But... Um, but it was just, yeah, just for me as as a kid. What I think I was what nine years old when he when he signed, and it's just such a just such an iconic sort of cult figure, really, with with the yeah. hair, the beard, the leather jacket, the long throws, you know, the big grin. I just I loved him. I absolutely loved him. Um, I, I, what, you know, proper Dutch international at the time. He played against England pretty recently when we signed him. Yes, sort of part of held in that big era of, of big signings, which was so exciting to be part of ultimately a failed strategy because they ended up paying over the odds for a lot of players and, and paying ridiculous wages for a lot of players coming to the end of their career but it was a massively exciting time to be part of and he sort of epitomised that really um, the penalties as well scored a few penalties didn't he well listen you know as a centre off is, is a cult hero and if you look at the definition of cult hero it's someone that leaves a lasting memory but didn't do a great deal yet he scored that hat-trick against Port Vale and he also scored as you said penalties in the penalty shootout against Sheffield Wednesday so I think he played less than I might be wrong I think he played less than 40 games for the club but what a legacy he left and I think what helped um, John DeWolf was his name as well Tim as silly as it sounds but I think that played a huge part no, it did. It absolutely did. De Wolfman. That was the chant, wasn't it? De yeah. Wolfman. Uh, yeah, no, um, you mentioned yeah, the Sheffield Wednesday game. That's one of my favourites of all of all time, that. Oh. And I went to interview John. I went over to Amsterdam um, about two, three years ago now to interview him. And of course, I had to ask him, what did he say to Chris Waddle? Oh, I don't yes. Know how many people sort of aware of this story, but as De Wolf scored the fifth penalty and fi- fifth and final penalty I think of the shootout to make it 3-3 and take it to sudden death and then he's walk he's, he's jogging back to the centre circle and he, and he crosses uh, Chris Waddle walking yes, the other way yes, yes. who's about, about to take his first penalty since Italia 90 when Correct. he missed in the yeah. semi yeah. 
And um, I think it's caught on a couple of cameras. He sort of says something to him as he stops. So I had to ask him, ask him what it was. Apparently, he says, you'll miss Blockhead. <laughs> to Wobble, someone, one of the Wolves players had told him to call him a Blockhead. Now, what that is, mate, I do not know. Whether Waddle is one, again, I do not know. But DeWolf credits himself with having put Waddle off because, of course, the penalty was saved by Paul Jones. And, um, yes. And won an incredible shootout. Oh, listen, I was in the top tier of the uh, what is now the Steve Ball. The Sheffield Wednesday fans were underneath. They're 3-0 up. And, listen, we was just I was just sticking my thumbs up as if to say, you know, that's it, we're done here. And then... The tide turned completely, and it was just... I've never seen anything like it. I'll never witness anything like it again. The hairs are going up on the back of my neck now. And and obviously, when Don got the winner, it was like... I mean, the Sheffield Wednesday fans were just absolutely dumbfounded, and no one knew what was going on. We didn't expect to win. We had Tomo and Dennis and Miss, who were club legends, and it was just all going off, but what a night. Well, the, the, the odds of Wolves winning that shootout are astronomical. The first five penalties for both teams, all went the way of Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. So Wolves missed two and they yeah. scored three. So the first five pens are perfect all for Sheffield Wednesday. The next seven are all perfect for Wolves because they score their next, what, four and Sheffield Wednesday missed their next three. So the odds of that must be astronomical. Oh. And you had, you had so many narratives. You had like, like the Waddle one we mentioned. You had Bart Williams who'd missed, yes. who had his penalty saved by Paul Jones in the first game. Yes, that's right. Was replay, Hill, and, jo- and Jones said, I think, I think Jones said he went the opposite way deliberately for the second one and guessed, guessed correctly again. Um, you had Andy Thompson, who never missed penalties, yeah. missing one. Kevin Pressman scoring the greatest penalty Oh, of my time. God. It was like a goal kick. <laughs> it's just amazing. I watch that video so regularly on YouTube. I think it's just the most incredible penalty shootout you'll ever see. Oh, but do you know what? 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 That? Yeah, you could do a whole podcast on just that match alone. Unbelievable. I've done a whole article on it. I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> oh, unbelievable. So now we're moving into midfield. Um, hopefully, no blockheads. So, who are your? Who are your three midfield? And and how is this strategy going to work? Right. So we need we need two defensive midfielders, midfielders here because we've got five attacking players going forward. Yeah. So, but whatever formation. It would be, mate. Paul Ince, Paul Ince would have to be in there. Yeah, the governor. Um, I mean, him and Irwin coming in in 2002, biggest signings I'd ever known at the club, you know, by a mile, really. It's yes. a massive wow factor to have these two Man United title winners joining Wolves in, in the second tier. But he but he really delivered in. So I thought he was... Oh, Irwin did as well. But there's no there's no fullbacks in my team, mate. So, um, so <laughs> I can yeah. see that. It's, it's, um, <laughs> it was just an extraordinary presence, really. Yes. And a, a born leader. And I think he'd only signed to join for one season at that point. He was probably waiting to see, you know, what had happened. If they were going to win promotion or not. And he was coming to his mid-30s. But he ended up staying for four years. Yes. And... Some really sort of memorable moments, goals against Newcastle in the Cup, yeah. stand out. I remember he scored a winner against West Ham, was it? Against his old club and sort of ran across the front of the John Island or the steeple to celebrate in front of the West Ham fans. And yeah, he played 131 times in four years, which is for, for a player of his age, I think he was 37 oh. or 38 when he left, was, was remarkable. You know, the engine on him. In, listen, and, um, yeah. I think he was a very exciting signing at the time. You know, the argument could be was he past his best uh, in terms of his age? But like like Jamatino at the minute, he did deliver and he delivered consistently. And I think Matt Murray, 
used to say um, he, he was so calm on the ball. So to the young players, he said, look, if you're in trouble with the ball, you're under pressure, give it me. He said, if I've got four men around me, give me the ball. And that is exactly what you want to hear from an experienced player like Paul Ince. Um, the only thing that disappointed me about Paul Ince was the fact that when McCarthy uh, took over, I think he was expecting Ince to turn up at, at pre-season training and, and, he, and he didn't. Um, and I think that was the end, really. But listen, while he played yeah. for the Wolves in a Wolves shirt, I thought he was incredible. And what a shrewd, shrewd signing by Dave Jones. He was, and I think it's a real shame how it ended. Um, I mean, he was expect. I think he was expecting to get the manager's job, wasn't he? And the fact that yes. they got they appointed Mick ahead of him, you know, uh, stuck with him for a while, and he, he seemed quite bitter about that. Yeah, I remember phoning him. I remember phoning him at the Express and Star for a, for a sort of a comment about something uh, to do with his time at Wolves, and he and he answered the phone, and, and he just didn't want to know. He didn't want to talk about Wolves. He didn't want to talk about his time at the club. No, I, th- oh, really? I think he has done a bit more recently when he's done he's done a bit more media work and stuff. I've seen bits and bobs, but he obviously feels quite bitter about how his time ended, how he yeah. felt like he got passed over for the job, um, which was a shame, really. And maybe he's, why he's not sort of spoken about in, in perhaps as glowing terms as, as he might have done if if, if if he just left the club amicably. Um, yes. But I thought, I thought, yeah, for those four years, I never expected him to stay to stay that long. I mean, he stayed for another another two seasons in the championship you know after the yeah. relegation but he wasn't he certainly wasn't doing it for the money and, and he was he was he gave us all every single week he really did uh, you know a, a true captain and one of the most high, high profile players to play for Wolves sort of pre-fosen area you know for, in my lifetime oh I couldn't agree more couldn't agree more so the governor in midfield who is partnering as a as another defensive midfielder Paul Ince yeah, we need a bit more bite in this engine room, so it's it's got to be Alex Ray for me. Just sort of, just sort of, again, like in pure commitment and underrated, I think. Yes. I mean, he was. I when I was looking this up, I was surprised to read that he was actually player of the season in his first year. Yeah. Which was the failed the failed promotion year, two thousand one oh two, and he should have been player of the year in the Premier League season as well. But Henry Kamara. I mean, probably sort of some kind of sympathy vote to try and persuade him to stay. Yeah. The fans voted Kamara player of the season, even though he only played for about two months because he was he was bobbins, as Mick McCarthy would say, for, for most of the year. So Alex Ray scored eight goals that Premier League season. I thought he was fantastic. So to be at the club for three seasons and probably be player of the season for two of them um, shows the impact he made, really. Oh. Obviously, again, lots of sort of special memories. The, the, Bol- the Bolton Volley. Yep, yep. Remember that one? Yep, sweet. Uh, very sweet. The Leicester goal in the comeback, which is top off. To yes, yes, four three. Yep, <laughs> the four three, and and the red the red and goal oh. as well, which has got to be. It's in my it's in my top five life moments, mate. Not 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 just football. I mean, I sobbed my heart out that night. I think it's the first time I'd, I'd cried at Wolves in, in a sort of a, in a happy way. Yes, um, I remember being on the, on the back row at, uh, in the away end at the Majeski and just um, just finally believing. Oh. Now it was our time, you know. After so many, so many, play, so much playoff heartache, you know, what was it? Bolton, Bolton Palace, and Norwich in the playoffs, three defeats, all those, all those missed opportunities, and then finally, Alex Ray, the man who takes us to Cardiff. It was, a, it was such a special memory. Do you know and, what? Um, I, yeah. I think I was must have been sitting not too far from you, Tim, because I remember when. I was behind the goal, obviously, and, and when it went in, you, you just, it was almost in slow motion. 
and it went in and he'd yes. done that celebration and then you thought hang on a sec we, 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 we're going to get to the player final and all of a sudden it was just oh once again like I said I can remember it now can you just remember it hitting the back of the net you're doing the celebration I believe the celebration a fan had been doing it or something taking the mick out of him in the warm up and then he, he scored the goal and he said he mimicked it back to the fan which I thought was brilliant Oh, right, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's what the little, the, little, the little twirl he did in the air, you mean? Yeah, he said, I think a supporter was in one of the stands and he'd been taking the mick out of Alex Rao, I believe, in the warm-up. So when he scored, he did the exact dance back to the fan and I just thought that was incredible. I mean, that's proper shithousery that is, too. <laughs> that's hilarious I just thought he sort of lost control of his body really just just, <laughs> just didn't know what to do but then the fact that it was you know a stage celebration um, sort of makes it even better oh, um, completely yeah. completely um, well, no, I, no, I, I think he's uh, fantastic and I don't know if you met him but, but a, a, a lovely guy and yeah. sort of you know re- revered at Rangers and Sunderland so much as well yeah which just showed you and Millwall of course um, just shows you what a nice guy he was, but but also you know what what a player as well, and, and not not just about tackling and running around. You know, he, just the fact he got eight goals in that Premier League season, he had a lot of skill to him as well. Oh, Underrated, well. And, and so unlucky not to play in the playoff final as well. I've got to say, it was Cameron who got the nod that day, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, I mean, you look back at it now, and it was the right choice because we won. So, but yeah. but I think listen, even if Colin Cameron hadn't played and Alex Ray had played, clearly we'd have still won. Um, but once again, pivotal, and it, and it must be unfortunate to, to get the winner in a semi-final and then not give, being given the nod for the final. I mean, that is that must be a real wounder. Um, so, who's the other midfielder, Tim, in this unbelievable formation, which I've never seen before? So we got the two the two DMs who are, who are going to who are going to sit for most most of the game. <laughs> yeah, you've got, you've got sort of Richards Richards who did play at wing back and, and could get forward, and Lescott. Yeah. Sort of like over, overlapping centre backs a little bit, sort of push out and help out. But you need someone as, as a pivot in the middle. Yes. To sort of be that playmaker. So I did. I did toy with Nana Milias. He, he did come okay. really close. Yeah. But I've actually gone. God, I loved him. But I've gone for. I've gone for Kevin Mack. Kevin McDonald. Ah. Bang in the middle of the park, just spraying passes. Basically, I thought he was. He was. Such, he was so elegant, and he he could. He could really pick a pass yes. and control the tempo of a game. I thought he was a fantastic signing for that team in League One, just what they yeah. needed. Um, and yeah, I, I had to have someone from the League One team in my team. I, I, I loved that season. Sort of like all of us, we'd probably fallen out of Wolves, fallen out of love with Wolves really a little yes. bit over those two relegation seasons. Or um, it needed it needed a team of unity. To um to pull us all back on the same side again, and, and he was a massive part of that. I think he was Player of the Year that season as well, if memory serves. And just far too good for that league. Yes, but just very elegant, graceful player. Like I said, could control the tempo very easily. And um, yeah, pr- 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 probably should have done a bit better, really, in terms of his in terms of his career. He, he, he could have played more at the top level. You know, yeah, don't I don't know think- why that was. Uh, to, be, to be honest, when Wolf signed him, I, I'm not going to lie, I'd never heard of him. But listen, he, he seemed to fit in very well. And I'll never forget that image. And you can still see it in my head now after the goal against Rotherham and the fans are on the pitch. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be an ex-footballer, that is the canvas you want hanging in your living room, in it? That one. Because what an image. Mate, it's that game. Absolutely crazy. I, it's, it's, you know, it's because of that game I, I met the Chuckle Brothers a few years later. They came into uh, they came into the Express of Star offices. Are they going to be your two strikers up top, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> they um, they spotted the wool scarf on my desk and came over to talk about the six four. Oh, brilliant! Um, 
Yeah, and then a few weeks later, they were they were they were at the um, at the Rotherham Wolves game, two thousand sixteen. Do you remember? It was the first Foson match, Rotherham away. Uh, were, actually, I think it was at the match yesterday. Sorry, yeah. It was a two-two draw. Zenga's first game. Yes, and, um, I was the there. Brothers, yeah, Chuckle Brothers were in the same boardroom as um, George Mendes. That's just incredible. Oh, yeah, Kevin McDonald. Yeah, yeah, great player. Um, two or three years at the club, I thought he was a proper class act. A really nice guy as well, and a massive sort of character in that dressing room. Well, very quickly, Nenad Emilius, who you mentioned, once again, court hero. I, my, my claim to fame is I saw him at the, uh, I saw him at the train station with his ten out of ten worldy misses, and he was there having a fag, and he played for Wolves <laughs> at the time, and I just thought that was so cool. I bet he was, yeah, yeah. Having twenty Benson, yeah, he was re- he was renowned for that, wasn't he? Yeah, so he was there smoking a fag. I mean, you just wouldn't see Joe Martino, would you know, walking through Tetna with a flipping fag in his mouth? It just wouldn't happen. But <laughs> it's amazing that Mick McCarthy signed him. Really, you think he's sort of the exact opposite of a Mick McCarthy player? You yeah. know, he doesn't run very much. He's all about flair. He's a twenty a day man. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's the exact opposite of what you expect from a sort of Mick McCarthy player. But I, he was he was glorious to watch on his day such oh, incredible talent yeah he, he could hit a ball so sweet with with that left peg so we're moving now into uh, I mean I've got in front of me now the Christmas tree formation so we, we've still got two and two to go who are the two and, and, and exactly where are you going to put these Tim so the two the two behind the strikers, they're sort of roaming, really. Okay. They've got a free roll. You know, they've got five defensive players at the back to sort out all the defence. And yep. then you've got McDonald picking the passes. So the first one in the, in, a, in a roaming role has got to be Robbie Keane. 100%. Has to be. He has to be in this team. How many players would you pay money just to turn up and watch, you know, that player? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was only 12 at the time, so I wasn't paying a thing. Which, to be fair, I don't, I don't pay now either, mate. But I still see that <laughs> For the next 23 years a season to get older and now he doesn't pay. Brilliant. <laughs> but I can, I can kind of imagine, you know, 1997, oh, you're wondering whether to turn up at Molyneux on Saturday. They've got Barry at home. Oh, well, you know, Robbie Keane's playing. Yeah, I think I might go and turn up and see what he does today. You know, that, that's, how, that's how good he was, really. Because he, he hadn't been tamed at this point. No. He hadn't been, he hadn't been managed. He was a he was a total free spirit. I bet he I bet he did Mark McGee's nothing. But the the skill was sort of mind boggling, really. You know, he, he can actually trap a ball, which which we weren't used to. Let's be honest. Yes, you know, yeah. we, 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 we watched players like Darren Peacock and Robert Taylor. I mean, trapping a ball back time. then was a luxury, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so the fact he could trap a ball was, was a good start. But no, like you know those those sort of jelly legs and the step overs and and yeah. just. He would literally just get the ball and just run. He'd take on two, three, four at a time. 100% fearless. 100% sort of the, the the naivety of youth. You know, he just wanted he just wanted to play. He wanted to entertain. Um, he was just outrageous, completely brazen. Yeah. I, I know he did. I know he did pull his head in. He never passed the ball, but he just played. He played it like he was in the street. You know, it was, just, it was a joy. I was going to say the same thing when he burst onto the scene. He, he looked skinny. He looked like he needed a good meal. His shirt was way too big for him. Obviously, that was the fashion in the nineties. And then, I mean, those two goals against Norwich were just incredible. I mean, I, I watched them the other day, um, and he, he just—that was—I believe that was his debut, and. You think, hang on a sec, that, that looks like he's been playing for four or five seasons and he just took to the first team like like a duck to water. There was there was no bedding in period 
And like you said, street footballer. You can't, you know, it doesn't matter how, how long you get a player on a training ground for, you cannot coach the raw ability that player had. And for me, once again, we're so lucky to have seen him in a wall shirt. What a fantastic career he had. He got to play for every club he supported as a boy. Um, unbelievable, yeah. Robbie Keane. Well, it would never happen now, would it? Because I think he scored. He scored what forty? I think he scored thirty or forty goals in his youth season the year before. Something stupid like that. Yeah. And yeah, we'd all know about that now. The, the clips would be all over Twitter. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he literally. Okay, you, you, you might have read a bit about him in the Express Star, but otherwise, he just came completely out of the blue. Literally, a kid, a child, turning up at Norwich, just scoring two goals. It's it's a fantastic story. Practice day two years again. I don't think that would happen now. No. You know, we were lucky to have him. Um, and then what was it? He was playing for Inter Milan a year after he after he left us. It's I remarkable. Mean, really. Well, do you remember Glenn Crow team? Yes, yeah, yeah. So, Glen Crow, random one. Uh, I used to go and drink in Pipers in my younger days before Amy trapped me. And um, I'd be out in Pipers and I used to see Glen Crow. So, he'd just made his debut for the Wolves, but he'd, he'd have a few beers on a Saturday night in Pipers. And I spoke to him years, years later. I bumped into him and we were talking about them times. And he went, yeah, he went and we used to have Robbie coming out with us. And I don't even remember. So, a couple of the times... I'd be there with Glenn Crow, and Robbie was... I didn't even know. I mean, you think, flipping heck, how times have changed. That's crazy. He, 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 had, he had an incredible career. Absolutely oh. incredible. I think he's, he's Republic of Ireland's record goal scorer. I think yeah. he might be record, record appearances as I well, think maybe. He is, yeah, I think he Something is. Something like that. But, you know, Spurs, Liverpool, Inter Milan, Leeds. Shame he went to the Villa as well, but never oh, mind. Oh, yeah, I forgot about um, that. LA Galaxy as well. It's just, yeah, amazing. I think we all watched him with such pride. Uh, I remember him scoring for Ireland in the World Cup and jumping off the sofa. Yes. It was... Um, 2002? Yeah, well. 2002? 2002 World Cup, yeah, against Germany, yeah. I remember it, and I think we were all quite excited, weren't we, towards the back end of his career. Is he coming back? Is he coming back? And I think we all wanted the fairy tale. He come back, he sco- you know, starts scoring goals again and rolls back the years, but it just wasn't to be. But that would have been a nice, nice fairy tale ending, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. It would have been a yeah, lovely sort of bookend to his to his career, really. But um, but yeah, it's just like, like I say, and those stories are just just so rare now. Just literally coming out of nowhere and breaking into a first team. So um, yeah, we were look, we were lucky to have him. Oh, he was amazing. Very lucky. So who's going to partner uh, Robbie Keane in that in that hole just above the Christmas tree? So this guy. So I, I, I toyed with Sacco and Kennedy and Frogger. Yeah, but I've gone with Matt, I've gone with Matt Jarvis for a bit of width. We do need a bit of width in this team somewhere, right? Yes. So I think again a great story, you know, sort of Gillingham to England via yes. via Wolves. Yeah. And I remember in the second Premier League season under McCarthy, he had, um, and I, I looked it up today because I remember it vividly. Uh, we played a succession of massive teams in in three or four games, and he had top class. Fullbacks on toast, yeah. and it was Chelsea, Man City, Man United, and Arsenal, and he was up against Ivanovic, Micah Richards, Wes Brown, and Bakary Sanya. And I just remember every single week he had him completely on toast, and that's what got him his England call up yeah. um, a couple of months later. But he was, it was more, it was more acceleration than pace. I think with Jarvis, he could sort of have, he'd have anyone over five, ten yards. Yes, and, and the good thing about Jarvis was you never knew which way he was going to go. Would he go to the line or would he go inside? Yeah. 
it did have an infuriating knack of putting crosses on the floor, which was a bit annoying. But the way the way that he beat his man every single time, um, I love I love watching him. And and as as I'm sure you know, mate, a lovely lovely bloke, oh. very very um, very nice, very intelligent. Got a really sort of calm and kind manner about him. Oh, um, so so humble. And every time I've asked him to do something for the podcast, he, he, he's he, once again such a lovely guy. And two goals that stick out for me is Aston Villa away. Um, I think it was a left foot volley yeah. or half volley, maybe. But that 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 goal, great great finish right into the corner. And the goal against West Ham away, where I got chucked out. Um, but once again, two. Yeah. What did you do? Uh, this is a true story, right? So I was on the very last. Listen, you know me, Tim. I, I wouldn't get chucked out of a football match, and I was right on the very last seat of the gangway. And Wolf scored, and accidentally went onto the gangway. We were celebrating, and the steward said to me, "You do that again, you're out." And I was like, "Hang on a sec." So I thought, right. So anyway, Wolf scored again. I think Zubar, uh, Zubar might have got the first. Anyway, then they scored again. I went onto the gangway again. Grab me by the scruff of the neck, you're out. So they, they took me down, and I was like, oh, my God. Now, I was thinking, flipping heck, I thought I was going to get arrested and all sorts. So I got downstairs, and I, I pleaded with the, the steward, and then he put me in front of a cop. He keeps jumping onto the gangway. I said, look, Matt, I'll celebrate your two goals. I promise I won't do it again. As I did that, as I said that, Wolf scored, so I'm jumping around like Alex Ray, and I got booted out. <laughs> you don't get that until we V1, do you, mate? Well, it, it gets better. So I got booted out of, of Upton Park under the lights, and I thought, right, I better start heading, uh, making my way back to the coach. And because uh, the 3 1 down at the time, I believe, West Ham, all the fans are pouring out. So I snuck back in the ground and took a picture of the walls into my mate, and I said, I'm back in. <laughs> oh, anyway, back to Matt Jarvis. What? Jarvis. Yeah. What? A, and I think Mick McCarthy, you know, master strokes there. These were players, him, Kitely. Listen, we'd never heard of. But not only were they good, good young players, they were also really nice, good people. And I think it was very important for Mick McCarthy to get the mix right on the pitch and off the pitch. Yeah, and I think the club, the club needed it. They'd had two years of hoddle, which, you know, I sort of appreciate what hoddle was trying to do. But I think I think we, a lot of us lost, lost a connection with the team around that point. Yes. You know, he, I don't think he probably gave less of a damn about Wolves and the community than, than most sort of managers. Yes, certainly my lifetime, just the way it was, really. So it, it needed it needed something to, to reignite that spark again. And they're all, you know, I've had the pleasure of getting to know a few of them. To be honest, they're just lovely guys, like Foley, Dave Edwards, Richard Stearman, Chris Uluma. Ebanks Blake, Collins, they're just fantastic people who are who are all making a name for themselves, I guess with the sort of exception of Ulumo. They're all 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 at their first sort of big club yes. and, and, and launching their careers really. And there's there's the vast majority of the squad were sort of in, in that camp. And um yeah, it was a, it was a massive part of um of sort of yeah, falling falling back in love with the club really after a real really stale few few years. Did did you, did you Matt? Uh, did you sorry team go to Matt Jarvis's debut against Ghana at Wembley? No, um, no, I remember watching it, but I wasn't there. Uh, well, I'll tell you a very quick story about that as well. I've just remembered this. So we didn't have tickets, so we went down, and I'd done the dishonourable thing and met a tout outside. And he said, he said, I've got two tickets, Club Wembley and one in the normal stand. So I was like, 
Right, okay, no problem. So we paid, I think, 50 quid each for these tickets, 100 quid, got a ticket each, me and my mate. So then he was like, well, hang on, who's going in Club Wembley? And who's going? So I said, we'll toss a coin for it. Anyway, we tossed a coin, and my mate, who was born lucky, ended up in Club Wembley. I got the other ticket, and it was in the Garner end. <laughs> so, I mean, and they was having a carnival. There was drums, there was... And there was me in the Garner end, watching Matt Jarvis make his debut for England. Telling them all about your Ghanaian heritage. Well. Yes, exactly that. It was, um, yeah, anyway... Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. So, Matt Jarvis, Robbie Keane, who are your two goal scorers up front? I think on our one. So you can start with. Uh, in fact, you can start with that one. Silver Ebanks Blake. Yes. Oh, okay, right. Seb. <laughs> yeah. Again, sort of. You know, part of that very likable team. And, yeah. Um, looking up his numbers earlier today, from the eighteen months that he signed from Plymouth. He's played 61 games and scored 37 goals, which was, you know, ridiculous, to be honest, and yes. not goal-scoring levels we haven't really seen for, for quite a while. Very sort of underrated in terms of his football intelligence, I think, but very yeah. intelligent striker, very good movement, and of course, you know, that goal-scoring instinct. Yes. Um, absolute danger on a night out. <laughs> I've got to say that. Got to know Sylvan quite a bit the last few years. He is, he is a terror. Um, <laughs> but he's a, lo- a, lo- a lovely, lovely, lo- lovely bloke. Yes. And, um, yeah, I also, I, you know, I love that renaissance he sort of had in the in the Saunders Solbacken season as well. Yeah. He, was, he was top scorer that year and I think if Paul Robinson hadn't broke his leg then, then we, we might have stayed up that year. Um <laughs> He's, you know, he was very, he was very sort of philosophical about it, but that was that was the beginning of the end for his career, really. You know, he, he by the time he was sort of 33, 34, he's turning out for Walsall Wood, which I think was was a real shame, you know, to see his powers wane afterwards. Well, but um, but yeah, for those five six years, he was um, fantastic striker. He was. I mean, listen, this was a player. Obviously, started his career at Man United. Obviously, didn't make the first team, but started his career at Man United. He was clearly got a, a fantastic pedigree to be in and around that club, and then. You're quite right. I think he was actually 32 when he was at Warsaw Wood. Now, if you look at that, I mean, I think he's only 34, 35 now. Uh, Tim, I might be wrong. You might be a little bit older. But that could be a player who could still, up until recently, been playing. And I think maybe, listen, injuries took their toll. What I liked about Sylvan Ebanks-Blake was you could tell he loved scoring goals. Always had a smile on his face when he scored. Um, That goal against Charlton as well. I mean, I watched that the other day. Unbelievable finish. Um, yeah, just, just, and like you said, a really nice lad and fitted him well. Yeah, the QPR promotion goal as well. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I felt a bit sorry for him in the Premier League. Obviously, Mick, Mick sort of changed it up, didn't he? He went 4 5 1 yes. with Doyle up front, which worked really well, and Kevin Doyle played that role, you know, superbly well. Yeah. But yeah, Sylvan was a bit, of, a bit of a victim of that, really, and didn't really get a long run of games, I don't think, in the Premier League, which was a shame. But, um, but yeah, it, it, nothing seemed to phase him. I don't think he no. didn't like the kind of player that would ever get nervous. No, um, and yeah, I just 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 knew where the goal was. His movement in and around that sort of from the six yard box to the edge of the penalty area was 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 exceptional, really. And yeah. again, yeah, injuries injuries sort of sort of ruined the, the rest of his career, which was a shame. But those three championship seasons he had at Wolves, I mean, he was just he was prolific. Oh, he was he was absolutely on fire. Um, and once you know. 
you said the positioning of him, um, real, you know, a proper old-fashioned goal poacher, and I think we'd 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 miss that for a long time, really. And yeah, he, he seemed to complement that team, that promotion team, especially perfectly. Yeah, and a bit of a goal, goal scoring hero. Yes, which, which hard to find, you know, as, as as we know right now. You know, the top scorer got six goals for Wolves last season. They, they're, 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 hard, they're hard to come by, uh, and. Um, yeah, he was a real hero. The songs as well. I absolutely yes. love, love the songs. Silvani, you won't break. You won't break. Flipping, eh? You're going to be on for a bit. He was a real hero on the, on the terraces. He was every, every, every single week. You, just, you knew he'd score and you'd be singing his name. Oh, I absolutely loved him. Great, great player. So, partnering Silvani Banks Blake up front is. It can't be anyone else. It's just, it's just there's, no, there's no point. It being anyone else other than Sammy Algebra. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's obviously, it's, it's, you know, I try and explain the bully story to people and, and it's, it's, it's hard to describe unless you were there really, but it was just, I mean, he, he meant more to me than the club, I think, when I was a kid. Tim, he, he meant more to me than my mum. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> but like, I was sort of say. Molyneux, Molyneux was church and he and he was God and I I absolutely worshipped him you know yeah. and, and, and I missed the golden era I mean as we said earlier 91 was my first game so I missed I missed the truly golden bully age you know 100 goals in two seasons and all that playing at a World Cup but I guess like any religion you're sort of told of the great things that that, that religion's God has accomplished really and, and you just worship them so, so, so I did from a very young age you know the goals the songs the cult of bully he was just he was just one of us oh. you know Mr Wolverhampton and still is still is to this to this day Mr Wolverhampton yeah. and yeah just absolutely love the oh, guy I put put that in the book um, my first game team January 24th 1989 uh, we beat Bristol City 3-0 in the Sherpa Van Trophy so before we got to the game I knew we was going to win because I'd been listening on WM and the klaxon was going off and it was always back to Molly New Jenny Wilkes and it was either Bully or Andy Much he scored a hat-trick that night and what's so interesting about Bully Bully's goal so this is a left-handed player who's right-footed um, over 100 of his goals were with his left foot I mean, yeah. that is just... And you look at the videos now. He'd literally turn. He wouldn't look around. He wouldn't look for the pass. He'd turn. He'd be outside the box. There'd be two defenders in front of him. He'd just lace it into the top corner, lace it over the keeper, bottom corner. It was just... As soon as he got a sniff of goal and hit it, you just knew it was going to be in the back of the net. It, incredible times, Tim. Sniff, sniff a goal, you're right. And I just love how he would approach... A Sharper Van Trophy third round game. Yes. Away at away at Rochdale on a Tuesday night in November. Yeah. With exactly the same drive and motivation as as a World Cup knockout game for England. Yes. He, he would give everything, every single second he was on a football pitch. And the, you know the, the 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 numbers are sort of hard to comprehend, really. You know, the hundred goals in two seasons. Yeah. Three hundred and six goals for one football club. It's just astonishing. And then the sort of story itself. You know, working in what was it, a bed factory? Yeah, Vona. And then, and then, and then five years later, he's playing for England in a in in, in a World Cup. It's just it's, it's astonishing, and it wouldn't happen now. You know, talk about the Robbie Keane story. It would not happen now. Imagine the attention he'd get now if he scored scoring hundred goals in, then, in in two seasons. 
and we talk about a fairy tale team. It, you know, we was in the third division. We just got promoted, so we technically, you know, still a third division player. So uh, the match against Scotland was in the May. Was it in the May? Um, yeah. And it, so he makes his debut for England, and you think, oh, he's, so he's on the bench, and you think, oh, well, he ain't gonna score. Comes on and scores. I mean, you're like, it was just, it was just incredible, just in, incredible times, and. So that those two seasons, 102 goals in two seasons, and realistically now, at, at any level, how much would that player be worth? 102 goals in two seasons. How many shots did he have? I mean, he couldn't have had 300 yeah. shots, surely. Yeah, absolutely. But also, I think he's. I think because a lot of his achievements happened in in the lower leagues in the early part of his career, he doesn't get the respect no. that he deserved for just how good he was. I mean, the guy scored four goals for England. That's more than Andy Cole, who only scored one for England. Yeah. It's more than Stan Collymore. Stan Collymore never scored for England. Yeah. You know, Alan, Alan, Alan Smith, the Arsenal striker, he got, he got two in 13. Um, you know, Chris Sutton won the, won the Premier League. Lots of these players you know, went to the very, very top of the English game and, and Bully did better than them for his country. And um, the fact he never properly played in, in, in the top flight, you know, people do him down on that. But we... We know how good he was, and and the fact he never left is a massive part of his story. He, you know, stayed loyal to his team, could have gone to Torino, Villa, Coventry, whatever, but he he stayed with Wolves, and and you know w- w- when he started, they've got this this shack of a stadium with cockroaches in the dressing room. Yes, and then, and then when he when he leaves in ninety nine, you know they're, they're playing in a, in a palace, and he scored three hundred and six goals. It's just, I mean, it's. It's the greatest story Wolves have ever have ever had or told, I think, and it'll never happen again. And if we'd have got to the Premier League, that really would have been the the the, the icing on the cake. And if you look at Steve Ball's England record, there's four goals there in 13 games. If you look at his actual time on the pitch, I think it equates to 6.79 games or something ridiculous, maybe seven. And you think, hang on a sec, he's 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 still got a ratio better than one in two in an England shirt. If you look at the time on the pitch after coming on a substitute, you know these some of these games are in the World Cup against Belgium when he come on and 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 you think, you know, that is an incredible. So for those people who say never done it in the top flight, no, he didn't, but he done it for international at international level, which arguably is better than the top flight. Yeah, and he's and quality goals, the Czechoslovakian oh. goals, are unbelievable. And, um, and 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 the fact that he was going to come on for Lineker in the World Cup semi, you know, he's he's, he's stripped and ready to come on. I, I think it was for Lineker, wasn't it? But he was yeah. he was ready. He was ready to come on. Was it an extra time? Uh, oh no, sorry, it was in the, was it in the second half just before Lineker scored? That was it. He was stripped and ready to come yeah, on. Yeah, ready to come in on. Semi final. Um, it's like I said, to be working in a, in a bloody bed factory five years earlier. It's it's just. The most remarkable story, and I tell you what, they've got they've got to build a statue of him. They have to. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's become more common these days. We see it at Arsenal and Man City. You know, to to, to celebrate these players while while they're while they're still around to appreciate it. Yes. And I, I really strongly think that they should do that with Bully. Obviously, in the aeroplane pose. As oh, I stand. I know. Just get it done, Jeff. The aeroplane, yeah, the one where he's in the green shirt. I forgot who he'd scored the hat trick against, but I think I think it was Grimsby. It's a shame it's in that it's in that kit. Um, but yeah, that is the pose. Oh, can you imagine that team? Let's start a petition. 
Honestly, I just, I just think, I just think that maybe they're waiting until they redo the steeple stand in another fifty years time. Yeah, hey, um, Tim, Tim knows. Listen, listen, Tim knows something we don't. There's clearly going to be a statue made of Steve Ball, which is going to be in the new Steve Ball stand, and Tim knows about it. And you've all heard it here exclusively on the Wolf Whistle podcast. Um, going through that team, Tim, Matt Marine goal, three centre halves, left sided Jolien Lescott, right sided Dean Richards, centre half. The long-haired, majestic, earring-wearing John DeWolf in the midfield. The snotters of Paul Ince and Alex Ray. Kevin McDonald just in front. Then we got Robbie Keane and Matt Jarvis for a little bit of width. And then Sylvan Ebanks-Blake and Steve Bull up front. What team? I mean, A, you happy with the team? And B, how much would that team be worth at their peak in today's market? I'm delighted with that team. I agonised over that. And I, I think I think that's a Premier League team. Oh. Um with goals, goals galore, and defensive steel, and creativity, yeah. and pace, a little bit of width. What team? Uh, how much to be worth? Bloody hell, I mean, at their peak. Uh, I mean, we, I mean, you look at Robbie Keane, for example. At, in today's market, at peak, he's he's fifty million player, isn't he? In today's market, got to be. Yeah, you, you look. You're looking at. You're looking at twenty to fifty million per. Per player, probably. oh easy. So easy. So yeah, it's it's, it's, got, it's got to be half a billion, and it that half a billion. Half like a billion. It. So clearly, Fosun wouldn't be buying these players. And on that subject, uh, very quickly, obviously, I said I wouldn't chuck you under the bus, and I promised I wouldn't. You've <laughs> you've listened to 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 well, I've watched the Scott Sellers one. I've watched the Bruno Large one. And this morning in bed, while I, while the kids were screaming, and I told Amy I was working, I watched Russell. Jo- I think Russell Jones is a great bloke, by the way. I watched the Russell Jones one. Now, um, what Wolves are doing differently, I'm I'm on social media and I, I, I have a moan about the communication from the club. It's not transparent. Da, 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 da. But they're coming out and doing things which other clubs aren't doing. And this Ask Wolves is very, very interesting. Um, I mean, you, you've obviously perused it, Tim. I've seen all the statistics uh, that you put out on Twitter. I mean, you know, f- from your point of view, really, what, what do you think of what you've seen so far? Uh, the club. I mean, I've seen it all. I mean, the, the club. The club has to be commended for doing it. Whatever you think of what they're saying on those tapes or on those transcripts, like you say, no other club is doing this, as no. far as I'm aware. It is. It is a level of transparency and accountability that people have asked for. Yes. You know the fact. The fact it's done in house does lessen that a bit. Obviously, you know it's edited the of way course. that they wanted to edit it. By the way, the editing, the production is absolutely stunning. The, the video team, you know, smashing it out of the park. As again, oh, Josh like Power and Yanni. Um, but you know, we, we both know Johnny Phillips, and, and and he's asked some tough questions in there. I'm yes. sure a few of them were his own. You know, following up with tough questions. So I, I do feel it's a worthwhile exercise if if the club are telling the fans things that they don't know about. Yes. Can't, if it's going to be an annual thing, it can't just be Jeff saying, you know, oh, we get some more followers in China or whatever. It's got to be. Yeah, it's got to be a bit more sort of factual, and I think, as you mentioned, Russell Jones certainly did that. Yes, and gave some really interesting uh, nuggets of information about the stadium redevelopment, yes. about yes. Um, bidding for Euro twenty twenty eight, um, about the permanent fan zone at Molyneux they're looking to introduce, yes. and the shirt sponsor not being not being renewed. So, you know, there are things there are things that I, I wasn't aware of that. that and the fans weren't aware of that, that they've informed us on which I think is, is very interesting yes. there were things I didn't like particularly hearing either as a fan or a journalist and things like 
moving towards NFTs. I really don't like that. Lots of alarm bells for me there. Lots of talk about the brand and esports and growing the fan base abroad, which is very important. Yes. And great. But I think there was less less so about the sort of valued support of local fans and uh, yeah. you know either either lifeblood of the club and, and there's definitely a disconnect there sort of between the chairman and the, and the core fans at the moment which is which is a bit of a concern in one respect Tim you've got to admire Jeff Shee for his honesty because he could have yeah. he could have got a PR guy in to say listen one of the things you must say is you, you you know you really appreciate the support of the local people in Wolverhampton that you want to grow the fan base. Uh, they're a fantastic, and he didn't really go down those lines. He he, he sort of went, you know, he, he told us a lot of what we didn't want to hear, but he was quite. I think he was quite actually honest, and maybe a little bit too honest. Probably a bit. This is certainly not certainly not pandering to the fans, and I think he probably reflects the thoughts of, of a lot of chairmen in the Premier League who wouldn't dare say what, what he said. So you've got you have got to admire that level of honesty for sure. But it yes. does if the team aren't playing well and the team aren't winning, it does just open those cracks of sort of disconnects really. I mean there was I tell you what, there's lots of good stuff on there. I thought Bruno Large was fantastic. Oh, and I'm really glad. Yeah. I'm glad people got to see him as I do really because he's because he does hour long press conferences every week and he's yes. very very intelligent, very animated, very passionate and very driven. And I don't think that comes across in a in a thirty second post match interview or match the day or whatever. Yes. So you know, I don't know how people sort of consume their Wolves videos and news or whatever. But I don't think many people would have seen him like that. So I thought that was great. Yes, I think the stuff on the because of that saying, but stuff on the academy, Wolves women, uh, Matt Jackson is doing a fantastic job with the lone players. You know, there's lots there's lots of good stuff there, which which the club should be shouting about. Yes, but it's just yeah. And, and you know what, I agree 100% because from my my perception, I might be wrong, but I think everything that happens on the pitch dictates what happens off it. And if we're a bottom-half Premier League team, <clears throat> you know, ambling around 15th and 16th, are we going to get the support from abroad? You know, I, I don't think we are, and I don't think it actually matters then. I think what's important is, is get it right on the pitch, and I think the rest will follow anyway. And yes, I understand that they've got revenue streams and that they're tapping into certain markets, which is all well and good. And it's quite proud to, you know, I went to China and it was what was going on over there it blew my brain. Um, but they, we're the loyal fans, Tim. And I'll talk to you as a fan now. Listen, I'll go with her in League One, League Two. I'll support them ever more. You know, if Wolves get relegated, I'm not saying they're going to get relegated. I'm saying if, I'm saying if we finish in the bottom half, I'm saying if we, whatever happens, these fans abroad aren't going to be wearing the Wolves shirts anymore. There's there's no loyalty. The loyal, the loyal supporters are the ones 
you know that that turn in, turn up week in week out that have supported us for many years. That that so that's just my grumble with it. But I did think the the ones I've listened to, they're all very honest. And listen, the club's in fantastic hands when you look at it. It is you know we're on a sound financial footing. I think Fosen maybe have tried to grow their brand too much on the back of the club. We no, none of us had ever heard of Fosen, and you wouldn't have expected us to. But I think on the basis that. They're now owners of a Premier League team. I think they're more focused on growing their brand. And the fact that the Wolves brand's growing hand in hand works perfectly for them. When I went to China, what did they have on the front of the kit? They had all the photos and logos. And I think that maybe the, 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 the brand they're growing is just, I don't know, maybe a little bit too important for them at the minute. But that's my perception as a supporter. And that's what I've been getting from it so far. Well, the way it was explained to me a year ago, I can't remember if this was something Jeff she said on the record, if it was someone else said it, but the first five years of Fosun's reign were about growing the team. Yeah. And the second five years are going to be about growing the club. Yeah. Now, I totally understand that because they, they need to, if they're going to break into the top six, they're not going to do it on a football footing in terms of splashing the cash like Villa and Newcastle are doing, which is, as we know, as Wolves followers throughout the 1990s, Having money and spending it is absolutely no guarantee. Of no, success not at all. Not at all. To where you want to go to. So I appreciate the shrewd way that they're trying to grow their revenues elsewhere. I just think that ultimately, at the end of the day, it's all about what the first team do. And if they take their eye off the ball with that, they've just got to be a bit careful because winning an FA Cup or finishing fourth and qualifying for the Champions League would do more for their sort of brand awareness than, than any of the work that they're doing at the moment. Do you know what I mean? So. Yes. Um, and also, I, I just, I, I just disappointed a little bit in how they equate somebody liking Wolves on Twitter yep. to somebody paying six hundred pound for a, a season ticket. You know, they are not the same. What no. <laughs> your you loyal fans from Wolverhampton are not in the same bracket as somebody who likes a post on on Facebook in 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 China or wherever. So that's that's what that's what I don't like to hear. Whether that's true or not, that's certainly what they've sort of hinted at. Yeah, and um, when you add the fact that season ticket prices have gone up for the second year in a row, and yeah, they're very expensive. Um, yeah, it's just a bit of a concern. Like I said, that that connection between the ownership and the fans, um, which is, you know surprisingly has sort of begun to unravel a little, little bit over the past couple of years. You know, despite the position that Wolves are in, because we cannot forget where they've come from to where they are now. No. It's been an incredible journey. You know, under Fosun, and yes. um, they're very intelligent. Uh, business people yeah. who, uh, who have the long-term interest of the club at heart, and that's ultimately. And whichever way you look you at it, whichever way you look at it, we are lucky to have Fosun as owners of our club. It could be in the hands of anyone. It could be in the hands of any egomaniac who just does what he wants. And so we we are lucky. What I'm really looking forward to. You said it was edited. I'm looking forward at the end of the season or at Christmas. They do all the 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 outtakes with Jeff Shee talking about us going to the I-54 and. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, I've, you know, I've spent I've spent a lot of time with Jeff Shear. I, I I can tell you how sort of committed he is yes. to the club and to the project. And there are so many offshoots of that. You know, in yes, esports and and people might not want to uh, might not want to hear about it, but it's a massive thing for them. You know, gra- grasshoppers. Yeah, you know, they're, they're a sort of official partner club now. That's a big thing. The, the academy has been outstanding work in the academy. It's not just the first team for, for oh, of course. Them. And, um, and the, the work, I mean, Compton Park looks incredible these days. I know hardly any fans would have seen it, 
but during COVID times, it's um, it's massively expanded. Oh, listen. Um, so yeah, they've done incredible things for the club. There. I did, I did pop down there, Tim, and the training ground. Now I remember going when Dave Jones was manager, and Martin Keown come to the training ground and drove off because there was getting changed in a porter cabin. And now it is a world class facility, and they can attract any player in the you know pretty much any player within reason who that, that you know the, the facilities are second to none we are on a great footing um but listen he, he, they're never going to keep everyone happy we've all got our own visions on where we want the club to go but it's in safe hands and at least we are getting some communication now so yeah and yeah they're on a sound financial footing like i said and yes. um and yeah the, the, the things that they put their mind to have worked, you know, they did improve the first team an incredible amount. Yes. You know, they've put their mind to the academy in the past couple of years and that's come on leaps and bounds. They've put their mind to Wolves Women, look how well that's doing. Yeah, fantastic. They've put their mind to, to growing the brand overseas and esports and that's that's working as well. So, yeah. the, the, I guess uh, you've also got to come a bit of slack and say they can't do everything at the same time and, um, and they're not going to throw money at it. So, they need to pick and choose their investments opportunities wisely. So, um, so yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they'll have seen the feedback. There's been a lot of it. Yes. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that they'll be listening to it as well. Well, Tim, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, obviously, I've got oh, you on. No, I've got you on because obviously Nathan Judah's on holiday. Um, so I'm joking. <laughs> no, listen, Tim, it was a pleasure having you on. That is a great team you've picked, by the way. Um, you know, and I want to thank you because, you know, you get a bit of grief on Twitter. Thank you for your sound honest humorous reporting of our fantastic club because i for one appreciate it and i know a lot of supporters out there do appreciate it so from me and those guys keep up the brilliant work tim bless you mate i'm gonna unblock you on twitter now that's so nice <laughs> that's all i've done it for really so i can start giving you shit again <laughs> all right now thanks, yeah pleasure. thanks tim cheers buddy okay mate